0: Okay, so we're up to chapter 29. In this chapter, so Yaakov has had his dream and he made his vow and he sets out in chapter 29 to walk to uh, Haran or Aram uh, as uh, his father called it. And the first pasuk says he goes out to Benekedim. We talked about that going to the east. Now we have Yaakov is about to come to Haran. So let's pick up on the second pasuk. Uh, so we have, he comes, and the first thing that he sees in the field is a well, a be'er. And he sees, we are told, three zones, three flocks of sheep who are lying there beside it. For from that well, they would would give the flocks of sheep water to drink. On top of this well is a rock. It means that it's closed. No one is permitted to take it, uh, to get the water. As it says in the next pasuk, So literally the flocks would gather there and they would, presumably the shepherds would roll the stone off the well, top of the well, and give water to to the flock, sheep, and they would return, they would restore, they would return the rock to the top of the well. Presumably, the reason, um, actually not just presumably, later on, Yaakov comes there, Yaakov asks them, what's going on over here? Why are you people standing around? Why don't you get the water from the well and take care of the the sheep? That's in verse number uh, seven is the question. And in verse number eight, they respond. It says We we can't move the rock off the top of the well until all of the flocks have arrived. So we have to wait until, um, until all of the uh, flocks have come. So presumably, the reason for this is that uh, they wait till all of them come, so nobody will take the water before the other, before the other shepherds come with their, with their flocks. Um, so that's, that's the rule. The rule makes a, a fair amount of sense. Uh, we don't want people just coming and taking before the others. This way, all the different uh, flocks, presumably have an equal opportunity to take water from, from the well. That's the rule of the shepherds, one might say. That's their common practice. So Jacob doesn't know that yet, but he comes to this well, and on top of the well, there's a, there's a rock. So the first thing we notice, we actually notice two things over here, I think, at least. First thing we notice that, is that Yaakov's initial encounter after leaving leaving Be'er Sheva, the place of his dream, he comes to a well. And we remember that earlier in the Chumash, we have encountered wells. We encountered wells, of course. Um, we encountered a well when, with the story of, of Rivka. When the servant uh, sends, um, when Avram sends his servant to find a wife, um, to, for, for Yitzchak. So the servant goes, sort of parks the donkeys back in chapter 24, and he goes, he goes to a well. At the time, we ate erev, we ate Setah towards evening. When the, when the women drawing water would, would come out. So we encountered a well, and that story of the well, of course, that was the setting for the ultimate marriage of Yitzchok and Rivka. And we have also encountered wells uh, in, in the chapter 25, Yitzchok digs wells, Avram had dug wells, Yitzchok digs up the same wells, Yitzchok digs other wells, we, we have seen that also. And in point of fact, the very last story that we saw by Yetze Yaakov, Lee, Beersheba, Yaakov, leaves from Beersheba. Beersheba, the well, the well, Beersheba actually is named twice. It's named for the oath that they took, Abraham and Yisroch uh, and Avimelech, um, uh, And you have it also with Abraham, the seven kvosok that he sets aside. Sheva Kvasol Tikachmi Yadi. You have you have so the story that we just encountered the last story is about Beersheva and it's about an even. Yaakov has a stone he puts under his head. Yaakov takes the stone as a erects the stone as a pillar. Yaakov promises that this even shall become the house of God. So the theme of the rock, the theme of the stone, Yaakov promises to build. He names the place Beit El. God's house. I promise Yaakov, if I return safely, when I return safely, to build God's house. And that all takes place at Beersheba. And now the next story, the first story actually, is all about rocks and wells. So there's obviously some link between the two stories. Uh, we'll, we'll get to this later on about what the possible links could be between the two stories. But clearly there are links to this story and it's also gonna be a link to the other story of Rebecca at the well. Namely, it's gonna be, a, the well is in that story and this one, and the story of Moshe later on in the beginning of the book of Shemot, it's the setting for marriage. Marriage of Rivka to Yitzhak, marriage of Yaakov to Rachel, marriage of Moshe to Tzipora. All those three stories are related to a well. There are three different kinds of marriages, three different stories, but the Torah links them clearly, so this is what we come to now. Meanwhile, Yaakov comes here. Something is actually very interesting here about this verse, that is, rate of verse number two, and that is, edgerate Zon of flocks of flocks of sheep. What's curious is that it doesn't say what you would expect it to say, and gathered there are shepherds with their flocks that's what you expect to see because obviously there's shepherds there since it says they would wait till everybody would come and they would roll the rock off the top of the well well the sheep aren't rolling the rock off the well the shepherds are presumably so obviously we're talking about what Yaakov sees here presumably are the shepherds with their flocks so it is very curious that the Chumash doesn't mention the shepherds the Chumash only mentions the flocks, the sheep. Sho Edgeret, Sonder of Si And the question is, what if anything are we to make of this? Can we make anything of this? Should we make anything of this? And I suspect that yes, we should. Because the point of this description, namely, it's a place where the sheep gather, is it raises, and there's no mention of the shepherds. Not at this point. And what it raises is the question of this place that Yaakov comes to. What is this place actually about? Is it about the people that live there? Or is it about the possessions that are there? And we'll get to this later on. This is a very central point. So the first thing we encounter are sheep, adarim, a sheep. Here's Yaakov. So Yaakov comes here. And our Yaakov begins to question. He's on the journey towards Haran. Doesn't necessarily know exactly where he is. So Yaakov, now in the fourth Pasuk, uh, has questions. So Yaakov speaks to them. Now we discover there are people. We didn't know that. We thought they were just flocks of sheep. Calls them my brothers, brethren, brothers. Where are you from? You've gathered at the well. What time are you coming from? We are from Haran. This is his destination. You're from Haran. Do you know Lavan, the son of Nahar? Of course, Lavan is actually not the son of Nahar. Lavan is the son of, of uh, Betuel. We know that. But Nahar means doesn't mean he's the son of Nahar. But Nahar apparently is the important person over here, and. Later on in the story, much later, Nachar will figure again. And Nachar, of course, is Avram's brother. And the genealogy of Nachar is found in the Chumash right after the Akeda, where the Torah singles out Mifka. She's part of that family. So Yaakov speaks of Lavan. Do you know Lavan? Nahar's descendant. Literally the son. Descendant of Nachar. Vayamru Yadonu. We know him, we know him. And he said to them, is he well? Little we peace, is he well? They said, peace. And behold, Rachel, his daughter comes with, with the flock. So just for a moment to reflect on this, I would say conversation, but it's a funny kind of conversation. Because one of the two partners in conversation has very few words. In fact, you can't have uh, two fewer words. First, the first response is two words. The second verse is Yodanu, one word. And the third is Shalom. They're not exactly loquacious. They say very little. One can wonder why. They say very little. But they say but behold, we'll tell you something that you uh, that you didn't ask. Rachel Rachel, his daughter, comes with with the flock. So, what to make of their, you know, brevity, One one could say, what does that mean? Hard to know. And you, again, when you're reading the Chumash, what you don't we don't have is we can't hear it. We see we see the words, we don't hear them. Do you know Lavan? Yadanu, we know him. Is that what they said? Or did they say, we know him? That's very different, you know? or oh, we know him, all right. So we don't know. We're gonna figure out, we're gonna find out who, who Lavan is. Lavan makes the story very interesting. Lavan is a wonderful character. Um, so when it comes to Lavan, this, they're not saying much, but Rachel, oh look, there's Rachel, his daughter. They see more, uh, enthusiastic when it comes to Rachel. And now we hear this little expression, "Bine Rachel bito ba'a im So here's what's interesting. Her name is Rachel. Rachel is a U, right? E-W-E, Rachel. Rachel comes with the own. So there's something interesting. She's coming with the own, with the flock, but her name is Rachel. One might say a member of the flock. And that's a very important uh, important insight, and we'll see how this plays out in the story. So we'll see. Yes, yeah, so Debbie, you had a question. Yes, is there a question there? Someone, someone has a question.
1: It seemed to me that they don't want to engage. He, he he hasn't seen people in a while, and he he's hungry for human contact. Is how I always looked at it. And he talks to them, you know, hello, do you know? And they don't want to engage with him at all. So they sort of dispense with him with a one-word. And then they say, but you know, if you really want to talk, there's Rachel. You know, like they voiced
0: him on her. Oh, you saying that according. they say, Rachel, if you have questions about the family, you can you can ask her. That's possible. Yeah. Um again, I don't know. He, he wants information. He wants to know where he is. He was set, he was sent to Haran. I guess they don't have very good uh, signs up on the roads as to where Haran is, so he simply wants information. It's true, they seem to have very little interest in engaging with him altogether. That's for for sure, not interested. Whether it's, does it say something about them in terms of how they see the other, the outsider, the stranger, or not, I'm not sure about that. yeah, I mean, we'll we 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 get to this business of Rachel Baimatson in in one minute. Um, is there any other question over here?
2: Yeah, their anonymity or their uh, um, the the um, uh, seems rem- reminds me of of um, of the depiction of B'nai Yisrael at the beginning of Shemot, where there are people who have no names.
0: Right, it's not
2: about. They just have a function, and they're subordinate to the property.
0: Right, but those are two different things. Having no name in the beginning of Shloshim means having no having no identity. The, my my point is not that's, that exact, that's exactly a that's exactly that's exactly well they're not mentioned altogether. They're, they're simply not mentioned. They, they, in other words, it, we get names. He goes to he's walking and he sees. Shepherds with flocks. He's going to talk to the people. So what is striking is that the Chumash talks about the Adorim. That's my point. It doesn't mention people altogether. When, when you first encounter it, you would think it's just the sheep have wandered over to a well on their own. Animals are drawn to water. Right? right? That the heart pants after the water in, in them. The point is there are people, he talks to them. But my point is what the Chumash is setting up is the wants us to think about Haran in general, how we how we view people versus property. That's going to be a very central question in the story. One of the central issues in Yaakov's sojourn in the house of Laban, or the culture of Laban, is how Laban sees human beings and how Laban sees people. That's very central because how, how does Yaakov see him? I mean, that's very basic to us. We'll, we'll, we'll get to this. It plays out very nicely. Um, anybody else? Wendy, you have something to say?
3: Can I ask a question? Yes. Oh, hey, thanks. Just one, I just want to make sure I got this right. Um, okay, so in other words, when you're saying that when the when the Chumash begins to just describing uh, Yaakov arriving at this place, they're talking about the flocks and it's only later that we realize, you know, wait, you know, there, there are shepherds there also. And then, they begin to converse, but they're very brief in their in their uh, replies to Yaakov's questions. You know, yes, we're we're from Haran. Yes, we do. Um, and that's if that's all correct. Then I wondered why is it that? Uh, but when when uh, Yaakov asks asks about Laban, Levant, Levan. Um, they go more into depth and say, uh, yes, he's not only well, but there is his daughter, Rachel coming with the flock. Why do they elaborate at that point? Is that to just introduce, get her started in the story or?
0: Well, right, that's we, we need to know that she's Rachel for sure. My, my point is, my, my, I just was, was observing what we'll make of this, we'll see. Maybe it's not a, it's terribly significant. My point is, are they, are they being dismissive of him? It could be. Or is it, they don't really want to say much about Lavan. When it comes to Lavan, they have one word answers. We know him, he's okay. They're not interested okay. in Lavan. And I think it, for the reader, I think it raises a question. We already encountered Lavan earlier in chapter 24 mm-hmm. in the marriage of Rivka to Yitzhak. And there already, he's a dubious character. But the right. question is, but he wasn't a central character here, he's gonna be a central character in the story, as we'll see. So the, what the Chumash does often is it creates expectations, it drops hints, and then later on, we'll get a, a fuller picture of who Lavan is. But all we can say is when it comes to talking about Laban, they're not very interested. But his daughter is another story, and behold, there's his daughter coming. So it could be say, talk to her, not us, that's possible. Or it could be a way of saying, when it comes to her, we, we yeah, she's she's okay, you know. But when it comes to love on, the less said the better. I'm just raising it as a possibility. And we'll see as the story proceeds. We'll see what what we'll see this in a moment. But if the focus is always going to be Yaakov, of course. So now Yaakov speaks to them. Yaakov says, Look. It's uh, the day is it's still, it's still daylight. Apparently, it's not necessarily night at nighttime when the women came out in chapter 24. They came out at twilight. But here, he says, it's still day. Why don't you go and do your job, he says. Go out and tend, tend to the sheep. What are you standing around here? What is this, a three-hour lunch break or something? And it's interesting. Why does Jacob say that? Does he say it because it actually bothers him that people aren't working? We'll see later on. He's a very industrious worker. Yaakov works very hard. He, he says that about himself, and it, 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 and it sounds true. He is a very, very diligent worker. So it bothers him, people are just sloughing off and not, not doing their job. Is that the reason? Or maybe the reason is he wants to meet, speak to Rachel alone, he doesn't want anybody else around. That's also a possibility. After all, he came to marry one of Lovin's daughters. They didn't say which one. Go, go, go to my brother, he has daughters, they get married. That's what Rivka said. And that's, what, and that's basically what, what Yitzchak says. Go and take a wife. Yitzchak says it explicitly. Take a wife from one of the daughters of, of Lovat. And here, what do you know? He's barely there. And Rachel shows up. Sounds, what, it's amazing. One might say in the words of chapter 24, May Hashem davar. What a fortuitous coincidence that he meets Rachel this, even before he gets there. So maybe he wants to get rid of them. Hey guys, go go, go go do, that's another possibility. But we'll see all these things later on in terms of Yaakov's character, as it is reflected in the stories of Yaakov in the house of Ravon. But they say to him, we, 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 we can't. As I said before, we can't, we can't go to, we have to wait till all of the flocks literally come. And then they roll the rock off the top of the well, and we give the sheep water, so we have to wait. That's that's our. we're not allowed to do anything till everybody shows up. They're still speaking, and Rachel comes with the uh, with the, with, with the father's flock, for she is a shepherd. So Rachel was a shepherd, so now she's come, she was approaching. She was Ba'a, and now Ba'a, she actually has arrived. And now we have the following verse. So when Yaakov sees Rachel, the daughter of Lavan, his mother's brother, and the and the and the sheep of flock of Lavan, his mother's brother. Va'yigash Yaakov, Yaakov comes, comes forward. he rolls the rock off the top of the well. Va'yash and he gives water to the flock of lovan, his mother's brother. Yaakov and Yaakov kisses Rachel. kolo and he raises his voice, lifts up his voice, and he cries. And now, let's look at these two verses over here and what they say. First thing that strikes us, of course, is the three-time mention of Lavan Ahi'imo. He sees Rachel, the daughter of Lavan, his mother's brother. He sees the flock of Lavan, his mother's brother. He rolls the rock off the well, and he gives water to the flock of Lavan, his mother's brother. Three times, Lavan, his mother's brother. And that's where he was sent, to find a wife. So the Torah reminds us, that and it's taking place at a well, no less. So it reminds us that his, his his mission, apart from escaping, was to get a wife and from a particular family. And here she is. Here she is, the first person he meets. It's gotta be, it's gotta be, uh, you know, it's it's Basherit, as we say. This is it's gotta be it. Now, there's more to this, I believe, but I want to make a different point, and that is that what the, the verse says the following, Jacob saw, Ra'a Yaakov, what does he see? He sees Rachel, the daughter of Ravan, and he sees the flock. So Jacob sees two things. He sees Rachel, and he sees the flock. Of course, the word Rachel, the U, is also part of a flock, right? It's also an animal, a Rachel. And then what does Jacob do? When it comes to Rachel, by Yishak Yaakov Rachel, he kisses Rachel. And when it comes to the animals, Yash, he gives them to drink. It is in the written text exactly the same word. By Yishak and Vayash. It's exactly the same word. And that raises the following question for us. What is Yaakov really seeing over here? Because he's seeing two different things. He's seeing is he seeing his prospective wife? Is that what he's fundamentally seeing? Her name is Rachel? Or is he fundamentally seeing the flocks? Which of these two is he seeing? And what complicates matters is, is that Rachel, the name Rachel itself is part of a flock. And this raises a very basic question. In other words, the culture to which Yaakov is, is entering, into which he enters, culture of Ravan, is a culture, I'll say it at this point, and it's clear, it's a culture in which everything is for sale. That's what actually Lavan's daughters say about him, say, say about Lavan, when Yaakov later out in the story says, God appeared to me in a dream and told me to leave. And he talks to his two wives in the field, and they say, why, why shouldn't we leave? In chapter 31, he treats us like foreign, like foreign women, whom he sells, and he devoured all of our money. So for, for, for Lavan, as we'll see, everything is for sale. It's all about, it's all about business, basically. And now that, that's true of Lavan. And that's the, that's the culture in which the in which Yaakov is going to enter. But the question we have is, we don't care about Lavan. Lavan is Lavan, but the question is Yaakov. Question is, Jacob. how does Yaakov understand family versus business? After all, he did buy a birthright for a bowl of soup. He got his brother to sell him a birthright. So, what is that about? And now, these verses is unclear. What does he see? Is he seeing, is primarily seeing Rachel or is primarily seeing the flocks of Ravan, So Ravan, one of them Vayash and the other Vayishak? The Chumash is not answering this question at this point. The Chumash is raising it as a question, just as it does with the Adarim. It doesn't mention the shepherds. It's a place where, as I said, from Lovin's perspective, everything is for sale. And the question is to what extent Yaakov will buy into that? And to what extent Yaakov will say, that's not my way. I distinguish family from business. Business is one thing. Personal relationship is something very different. So, I just raise this raises as a big question, and the question will become much more clear later on when we get into the story of Yaakov and Rachel and Ravan. Then it becomes a genuine question and a genuine problem, I believe. But, um, okay, let me stop you for a moment. If there are any comments or questions now, then we'll continue. Yes.
2: Yeah, I have one. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, I always thought of this, maybe I maybe even heard it from you. I don't know. I always thought of this as um, a very romantic sort of thing. I mean, first of all, uh, when I, when it says we have to wait for all the shepherds to come, I assume that meant they need them all in order to take the rock off the, the thing. So, yes. but Herr Jacob is showing an incredible amount of power in in doing it himself. And then he's, he's kissing her and then he's crying. I mean, crying is not something, uh, a business proposition. So, right. uh, if, even if the kissing is uh, 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 the same word as the, so there's some they seem, maybe they're just telling two stories at the same time, but it seems like they are saying a very romantic thing. And of course he's, a, we know he's in love with her later. So um,
0: it right. seems like- I agree.
1: Can I jump in and ask a question too?
0: Um,
1: because- I, I, don't, the... I don't disagree
0: with you by the way. I agree. Yeah.
1: Right, and and I look forward to hearing more of the explication, but it seems to me that he is deeply emotional. He's falling in love. You're seeing a man fall in love. And what the question then becomes is, can love in the Bible, does it really, is it really the precondition condition for chosenness? Because it really subverts the paradigm of the eldest. And instead of the primogenitor, it's about love, right? So Rachel, sorry, Rebecca loved Jacob he got the birthright, Jacob loves Rachel, she becomes the favorite. And that really becomes part of the covenant. It's like, it's a really interesting way of understanding human relations, perhaps. Anyway, that's
0: my question. Look, my my point is not that we have an emotional scene, both the kissing and also the crying. I'll I'll get back to the emotional scene. I don't mean to suggest he's just a cold-blooded guy who, are uh, you know who are uh, always making calculations but my point is that these two these two things the, the, the calculating person on one hand and the highly emotional person on the other those two things can reside very nicely in the same person the, the person that actually resides in, <laughs> in the deepest possible way is the king david of the book of samuel and you actually never know with David, almost never why he does what he does. You could always explain it in in any number of ways. Is it a calculation? Is it real? Fact of the matter is, David is a poet. David is a a, um, deeply emotional person and you see that on several occasions, even at risk of his own life. At the same time, David is a calculating person. And the truth is one of the powers of the, Book of Shmuel is you really can't tell often which of these, those two predominate. They're both there at all points. And my point is that with Yaakov, we saw this earlier. He is a calculating guy. He didn't happen to be preparing supper when Esav comes home from the field. It's not it happens. By Yazid Yaakov Nazid, it wasn't B'shoge. It was Bemezid. He knows when he comes back. He knows his brother very well. He knows how he's gonna behave. That doesn't mean that the birthright and the blessing are that which Esau should be getting, I'm not suggesting that, but there is a calculating side to Yaakov. So my, all my point over here is not to suggest that it's not emotional. Now, whether love, as you would call it over here, love at first sight, is for the book of Breshit, a firm foundation for marriage, that's a very good question. One could make easily make the argument that it's not, given the fact that there are three uh, patriarchs have three marriages, one of them is pretty solid, which is Isaac and uh, and the Rebecca. Yes, they don't communicate, but there's a deep mutual respect there, and Isaac actually loves Rebecca. He prays for Rebecca, prays for her to have children, even though he himself has no children. He prays for her. When it comes to Yaakov and Rachel, as we will see soon, uh, it doesn't take long for Yaakov to get angry at Rachel and Rachel to get angry at Yaakov. Uh, so again, we'll, we'll see all these things. The beauty of it is it's very complicated and uh, as, as, as human beings tend to be. So yes, there is an emotional side. And what is the basis of the emotion is a good question. Because the Torah emphasizes, I, 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 I fixated on a loved one, but the fact of the matter is, three times in the verse it mentions Rebecca. He sees, he sees the flock of love on his mother's brother three times his mother's brother. So one can say over here, without getting too psychoanalytic, that in point of fact, what the Chumash seems to be suggesting here is, I don't mean in a Freudian sense, what the Chumash seems to be suggesting is that Rachel will take the place of his mother. It is striking that whereas Rebecca said to Yaakov, I will call you back in a few days, she never calls him back. This the last we've heard of Rivka. We, we, we hear that Rifka has died, but we don't have Rivka in any more stories. So there's a sense over here, sorry for the reader, that this is the last of Rifka. Rivka is not going to call him back. God already said to Yaakov on the way out, I'm going to bring you back. His mother had said, I'll call for you in a few days. I'll bring you back. Doesn't happen. Won't happen. So is, there a, is the crying over here, fundamentally, the question is, is the crying over here a crying of joy? People cry out of joy or is it a crime primarily that of sadness? And the fact of the matter is that you can read it both ways. You can read it as a kind of emotional response upon meeting it is the one who he thinks may become his life partner, that's certainly possible. But you can also read it the other way, namely, that as long as he's traveling, he's on the road, he hasn't really left home. But the moment he actually arrives at the place and when he arrives at his destination that's the point in time when you realize he's not home anymore and as we discussed last week it's not going to be a simple matter to get home so that could be that the crying is the fact that he won't be home with the one who loved him which was his mother and not only that reminds the reader of chapter twenty seven. That's what Esav did when when the when learns that Jacob has taken his blessing. Twice the Torah mentions that Esav cried. And the point of fact, it's the very taking of that blessing which causes Jacob or forces Jacob to leave home. So therefore, the crying is not necessarily one of joy. The crying could be one of could be one of. One of one of sadness or or, or, a wistfulness as well. That is point number one. In terms of the midrashim, it's very interesting that the medrash adds another level, and that is the medrash sees the crying as related to Yaakov meeting Rachel. And Rashi calls the medrash: he sees Rachel and he cries. And the medrash has, I believe, two different possible reasons why. One is. He, he he prophesies that he won't be buried with her. He won't be buried with her. And what does that medrash mean? We wanna understand the medrash, what is it trying to say over here? What do you mean he won't be buried with her? He meets her, he kisses her, and he cries. He won't be buried with her. And here the medrash is, I think, anticipating for us a very basic point about Rachel, which is that actually, Jacob and Rachel is, is very problematic. On one hand, they have rotten common, and he falls in love with her right away. But on the other hand, the character of Rachel, at least in the Chumash, in this chapter, in Sefer of Bereshit, is a very problematic side to Rachel. I mean, why, why isn't Jacob buried with Rachel? Well, why not? Why is, why is why are Jacob and Rachel not buried together? It's his beloved wife. And the answer is because Rachel will steal her father's idols. And because of that, she will die in childbirth before she fully makes it back. That's the reason they're not buried together. Yaakov's returning to Beit El, and Rachel has Trophid. In point of fact, what the medrash is getting at is sometimes you can fall in love with somebody. But actually, that relationship is going to be problematic. Because you're not exactly on the same wavelength, because there are certain marked differences, which create kind of friction, or you recognize maybe this can't really be my my true soulmate. These things have to be worked out. So it's not just he prophesized. There's a reason for it. And in point of fact, when you uh, when you look at um, when you look at the story over here you already see something very interesting because the story over here, the way the Chumash works is one story recalls another, or one story recalls many. You read the story of a well and a marriage scene at a well, which is what this is. And you remember the first marriage scene at the well. The first marriage scene at the well, Isaac's not there, but the messenger creates a test. What is the test? The test is a test of one's morality, compassion, greeting the stranger, greeting the outsider, the way you behave, and Rebecca passes the test. Not only does she do more for the stranger than he asked for, she feeds his camels, waters the camels, that's a lot of water, but she also does it, the Chumash says, she does it in a hurried manner. She's quick to do it. In short, greeting the stranger, and doing so in a rushing to do good, rushing to greet the guest. Of course, the one who exemplifies that in the Torah, to this point is none other than Avraham that's what Avraham does when he when he guests come to his house so Rivka is acting as an Abraham figure now Avraham sends the servant to find somebody like himself who's willing to leave her home and travel far away because she sees it as her destiny her mission and, Re- and Rebecca is exactly that so there's no mention of love in the story how could she fall in love with Isaac she's never seen him he's not even there it's not about love. It's about morality as the basis of marriage. That's what that story is about. And she passes the test 100%. Over here, what's striking over here is that it's not that Rachel gives Yaakov's flocks water. Jacob has no flocks. But in point of fact, it's exactly the opposite. By He gives water to the flocks of Rachel, which is very lovely. But in point of fact, When you read the story here, it doesn't say anything negative about Macha, of course, but it also doesn't say anything positive either. In other words, it's precisely the opposite. Whereas in the first story, her giving his camels to drink is the sign of her her high moral standard, her her high level of behavior. What we can say over here is we have no evidence one way or the other about her behavior, zero, nothing negative, but nothing positive either. And there's something else in the story, namely that when it came to Rachel, at the well, the servant gives Rachel the bracelet, etc., the jewelry as a sign that he's designating her for yitzchak. And then back in chapter 24, what is what does Rifka do? In chapter 24, it says in chapter 24, Rebecca runs and informs her mother's house Beit Ima she runs to her mother but over here in chapter 29 after Yaakov gives Rachel um, Rachel's flop the water kisses her he cries very emotional Uh, and Yaakov tells Rachel that he is related to her that's in verse number 32 (inaudible) he's he's a he's a cousin and she runs and tells her father. She goes to love her. And right away, there's a difference here. When it comes to Rivka, she doesn't run to the father's house. She tells her mother. When it comes to Rachel, she tells her father. Now, the question is that distinction, obviously, it's different. What do we make of the distinction? Here's what I make of it what I make of it is this. When it comes to the the carriers of the of the of the tradition in the book of genesis are the men it's a patriarchal book the women have all kinds of insight when it comes to blessing the children the father blesses his son that's the way the book works the father represents the culture when it comes to rivka she doesn't go to her father she goes to her mother and that the point of that is rivka is a young person who, from the very beginning, is not bound up with the values and the culture and the connections to a particular family, and that precipitates what Rivka is able to do in the story, which is to leave. At the end of the day, the family wants to hold on to Rivka, and the servant says, I got to go. Let's, let's, see what the, let's, see, let's see what the little girl wants. Rivka, will you go with this man? I will go which is actually the test over there. Is she willing to go? And she is willing to go. Against what the family clearly wants, she says, I'm going. When it comes to Rachel, that's not true. When it comes to Rachel, she is tied in to to her father. And the Chumash, of course, precipitates what's going to happen later on. When Rachel leaves, uh, we'll get to that later on, when Rachel will leave the uh, house of her father, she takes something of her father with her. She has her reasons for it but she takes something of her father with her, namely his idols. She, in other words, when it comes to Rachel, there's a deep connection, much deeper than Rivka, to the place from which she is coming. When it comes to Rivka, that's not the case. Rivka is able to break away, to leave, to take that long journey, the Abraham journey, I would call it. But even from the very beginning, you get a sense, she doesn't go to the father. So there's already, a kind of very attenuated link between Rivka and the place from which she comes. That's the true of Rachel. That's what the matter is getting at. He slowly wouldn't be buried with her. Their relationship is much more complex in that sense because Rachel is, the issue with Jacob is, is gonna be, can he break away from Laban? It's not gonna be simple to leave Laban. We know that already. God said, I'm gonna protect you goes out to Benekedim, we talked about all that, and the question is how difficult it will be for him to leave, how difficult it will be for her to leave. We'll see later on that the Torah sets up these two tracks, two parallel tracks, and I believe that's what the marriage is getting at. He cries because he realizes he wouldn't be buried with her. She's not buried with him, but there's a reason for that. And that actually sets up the whole story of Yaakov and Rachel and Sefer Breshit. Many years ago, uh, on Cass came in and he gave her two classes. When he had him come in and gave two classes on Genesis, they're pretty good. One was on Rebecca and one was on Rachel. So afterwards I spoke to him, I said, I like what he said about Rebecca. But when it came to Rachel, I think the, I would raise the following question. You ended your story when, when Rachel dies, chapter 35. I said, in truth, the story doesn't end when Rachel dies one might say the story begins when Rachel dies, because after Rachel dies, Yaakov sets out to make sure that Rachel was incorporated into the Jewish people. And the way he does that is most interesting. We'll get to that, hopefully. It's a very important point, but how Yaakov does it, what Yaakov does, how Yaakov interprets Rachel, one might say. is a great interpreter of his own life and the people around him. So he has a very interesting interpretation of Rachel. But we'll see all this later. My point is a different point. My point's about reading the text. My point is that these questions are anticipated by the text. The way texts work is they set up expectations. Anybody who reads this is thinking, I wonder, Vayashkin Vayishak, I wonder about that. I wonder about the crying. And we don't have to have answers at this point. We have no answers because the Chumash doesn't want to give us answers. The Chumash is intending to give us questions. And then when we read later on, we will see how this, how this develops. It tends to be complicated. It's not one or the other. It's not that he necessarily cries out of joy or, or out of sadness. That's not the way the Chumash works. I mean, maybe that's okay if you study in your third or fourth grade. Maybe so. When you get beyond that, though, you're dealing with human beings and, and, the, and the complexity of what it means to be human. And sometimes you simply can't tell. Actually, you simply cannot tell. Is it a calculation? Is it a a deep feeling? There's always King David is the best example of it. You never know in in the almost never with rare occasions you don't know what primarily motivates the people. Can't know that in Sefer Shmuel. And here, of course, similarly with Yaakov, it's a question. Yes, because he is. He sees Rachel. is very taken with her. Seems like he's met his the one he's destined to marry. But that's not to say that in the back of his head he's not thinking about the uh, the the flocks as well. Given his his past history, it would not surprise us. Okay, let me uh, take. Um, I
1: have I have a comment, if I may. Yep. Yes. Um, that uh, when I'm reading the story of Jacob. I'm I'm always asking about his transformation from um, the Akuv the Arum to uh, Israel. Yes. And because you mentioned two things, the flock and the stone, the Evan, it occurred to me another way of reading all this is that he's beginning to notice and to be committed to the flock, which could be. Um, Bnei Israel, um a metaphor for Bnei Israel, and because of his dream, the Evan gives him the, the ability to move the Evan that the shepherds weren't able to, and the motivation to do that. So his focus, in addition to the love story with Rachel, it's the, the beginning of the awareness of the flock that that could be significant.
0: Well, let's put it this way. I'm not sure about the flock being B'nai Israel. If, if you mean B'nai Israel and his children, the story of Jacob is not at this point about the, the people of Israel.
1: No, I mean it's, the process of going there. At
0: the beginning. Right, the, the, look, the point is he has to go there for any number of reasons. He has to go there as we spoke because he's got to run away, which is a punishment. But he has to go there to build the family. He says it himself. I'm going to build a bayat, which means for Yaakov and his family, he calls his family a bayat on two different occasions. And this is going to be the issue. How do you build the, 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 the theme of the rock is all about building. Jacob will build the family. Jacob will have 12 sons and up blessing will 12. The question is, how will Jacob manage to build the family? And that's, there we have all the complications of the house of Laban. And the fact is, my point is, it's not just about Jacob wants to do always the right thing, and you have Laban as an obstacle. Laban is certainly an obstacle, but the danger of Laban is not an external obstacle to Jacob. The danger of Laban, the real danger, is that there's a part of Jacob that fits in very nicely with Laban. Laban is an arch deceiver; he's a Ramai. Jacob did plenty of deception himself. The danger of Laban. Is that he'll bring out the worst in Jacob. Jacob has to overcome that. That's what the story is actually about. And the way the family gets built, because of the circumstances, because of love, and because he's building it there, you're gonna end up with a family in which there are deep divisions within his own family. And part of that is Jacob. Jacob favors Rachel, Jacob favors Joseph. It's not something which is just happens, just happenstance. The problems that happen to Yaakov are essentially emerging from Yaakov's fundamental behavior and his fundamental nature. That's the point. And we will see this later. There's no point to say it all now. Let's, let, the Chumash will take us on a journey and maybe we'll see many things that we've never seen before, You're, myself included. You never know when you read this, it's so, it's so complicated. But my point is that the way great texts work, in the case of the Chumash, is by creating possibilities in your head. And then you'll see how it plays out. Rabbi, we'll see, we'll see how it plays out. Rabbi? Okay, let me let me let me do a Rabbi? little bit more here. I'll take one more time oh. to take more comments and questions. Yaakov sets out. Right, so now, Rabbi, uh, can
3: I ask you a question? Go ahead, it, you, Sandra. Um, do you see um, a, a connection uh, with the uh, dreamer? Jacob, whom we saw last week, and the Crier Jacob, whom we see this week, um, there's a direct parallel to Joseph later on. Um, uh, a primary we we tend to think of Joseph as the dreamer, and then of course he cries numerous times um, uh, chapters later in Egypt. Um, so uh, is there is the is the chumash hinting to us? There's more here in terms of. Fi- his his ability and his necessity almost primal necessity to favor that son later on we're seeing now some of those qualities that he is going to see in this son that he favors For sure
0: i mean there's no question they were told about Yaakov, yosef it's clear <laughs> that yosef <laughs> and yakov have much in common there's also, also important differences between them but the fact is uh, we'll, we'll have to wait till we get to yosef but there's no doubt that both in terms of the crime yosef cries at least four times and, and they both are dreamers, uh, that's true. Yaakov was a dreamer, Yosef was a dreamer. One can, Yosef's also an, an, an interpreter of his dreams and we'll have to see whether Yaakov is an interpreter of his own dreams or not. It's a very good mm-hmm. question. But we'll get to all these things later. Let's just Thank move you. forward a bit and then we will. I'll take at the end five minutes for more comments and questions. Um, okay, so meanwhile, right, we're up to here, Yaakov kisses Rachel, he cries. Then Yaakov tells Rachel, In verse number 12, he tells her who he is. And she informs her father. I talked about that. She goes to her father. And now, Lavan. So Lavan rushes out to greet his his nephew, he rushes out to greet him, he hugs him, he kisses him, he brings him into his house, great enthusiasm. And then, and Jacob told Lebron all of these things. The Chumash doesn't tell us what he told him. It seems to me more than, I, my name is Jacob and I'm your sister's son. Did he tell him all of these things? Did he tell him, why am I here? Why am I here? He's here because he has to run away from home, and apparently, he's here. Unlike the first instance when the servant came with ten camels laden with all kinds of goodies, as the mafarshim all point out, he comes. It would appear with basically next to nothing. Doesn't seem to have anything with him. So you may think he's. The medrash says, you know, you know. So I would say he's, 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 he's kissing and hugging Yaakov and searching for the jewels. He doesn't have camels, maybe he has diamonds, maybe they're in his mouth. You know, okay, that's an exaggeration, but the idea that love is fueled by potential gain is hardly an exaggeration, right? He, you see that in the first story as well. So then when he first comes, oh, what do you know? This is my, who knows what's gonna be? Who knows what, if, 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 if the servant came with 10 camels, and this is Jacob himself wants to get married. Who knows what, what, what awaits me? Then he tells them everything. And the next verse is very striking, important verse. They're all important. But, Lavan says in verse 14, That's an interesting verse for our purposes. Lavan said to him, ah, It is the case they translate so it's truly you are my bone and flesh he stayed with him for a month's time you are my bone and flesh now the term we have encountered earlier in the where do we have the term (inaudible) yes of course we have it when the woman is created from the man the is created from the ish and, and 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 all the other animals were brought first to adam he names them but he couldn't find a, 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 an azer couldn't find a helper a partner a soulmate. couldn't find that when it comes to the when it's taken from himself it's part of himself says says adam in a very excited way zotapam this time is different zotapam etsem mayu Rezot isha, Gold of my bone and flesh of my flesh, then zot, for this one, I would call it isha, why? ki may ish zot, because this one came from the ish, he calls himself an ish, to that point he's not ish, he becomes ish when he names the isha, and three times the word is zot, 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 this one, this is the right one, and now we have Lavan saying to Yaakov, recalling for us, of course, remember, it's a story about marriage over here, recalling that first Ishvi Isha story. So what does it mean to say, ach atzmi ata? You are my bone and flesh. And here, when it comes to Lavan in the story over here, we have, I think, the right, maybe the obligation to be a bit cynical. What he's saying is something else here. In retrospect, when you read the story, the relationship Lavan is saying, in effect, is between me and you. Lavan is not going to see the relationship as a relationship between Jacob and Jacob's Ezer Knegdel. That's not Lavan. The relationship Lavan cares about is about Jacob and Lavan. That's what he cares about. It's not the woman. In the first story, the woman is bone and flesh, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, Zot. But in the story over here, as we will see, it's never about Rachel or about Leah, who themselves will say later, our father buys and sells us. No, it's about me, says Laban. That's number one. So we don't know yet what to anticipate if we never read it, but it's gonna be all about Laban's relationship to Yaakov. And the second is the word Ach. Ach, it is true that you are my flesh and bone means you can see the disappointment over here. I thought we have some billionaire coming to my house. you know, And instead I got some fugitive who's penniless. It's the last thing I need, nothing else to feed. And Jacob stays with him for a month. Remember he came there initially for a few days Oh, he doesn't know how long he's gonna be there. He didn't come to work, why should he? He's coming to his uncle's house to, to see if he can marry his, his own cousin. He stayed with him for a month, and then we have Lavan speaking in the next pasuk. Because you're my brother, my relative, you should work for me for nothing. Tell me what wages do you want? That's a wonderful Lavan verse, for the simple reason that the Chumash never intimated in the slightest that Yaakov intends to work. What do you see working? Says Why would he work anyway? He's going to his uncle's house. Because you're my brother, because you're my relative, you should work for nothing? Tell me, how much should I pay you? Let me translate that into our language. Don't think of our relationship as uncle and nephew. Think of it as employer and uh, employee and tell me, what should I pay you? Not, we pay X amount per hour. What do you want for the work you're going to do? And here is Jacob's first test in the house of Laban. Here's what Jacob, I think, should have said. My beloved uncle, I didn't really come here to work. I'll tell you the truth. I came here because I'm in trouble. And I thought as my relative, you would protect me and take me in. And yes, it's true. I also came to find a wife. In fact, I met me a beautiful daughter at the well. We, I really love her, and I'm very interested in her. Now, if you need a worker, you know, if you don't want me to stay here, so I'll go someplace else. I don't want our relationship to be any way related to, to, to wages and to work, because it's not about that. Let's keep it on the level of family, keep it on the level of, of good deeds towards the other, no matter who the other is, but in this case, it's family. And that's the way, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm your sister's son. So I there's no working over here. That's what he should have said. That's not what he does say. He says something very different. He falls exactly into the trap. And the trap, of course, is set by Lavan. And now the Torah says, U <laughs> banot. So now we discover that Rachel is the younger daughter. The older one is Leah, and the younger one is Rachel. Rachel's eyes were rakot, whatever that means—literally soft. Leave that out. So there's some problem with the eyes. Rachel but by contrast, Rachel you Rachel is very beautiful. Rachel is beautiful. Looks beautiful. The Torah didn't say that initially when Yaakov meets Rachel, but now we're told that. And he kissed Rachel when he first met her. So Yaakov says, Jacob loved Rachel. And Jacob said, I worked for you for seven years for Rachel your younger daughter. He actually spells it out. The Midrashim and the commentaries think he was a bit suspicious. Maybe he knows that normally speaking, the younger one doesn't get married before the older one. So he says very explicitly, I'll work for you for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel, your daughter whose name is Rachel and she's younger. So don't play any games with me. You know, don't say a different Rachel. Don't say uh, to someone else, whatever, don't say anything. Rachel, the younger daughter, says, Now, Lavan comes with a wonderful Lavan statement in verse number 19. Then I have a few things to say about this, and I'll take the comments and questions. And Lavan said, I'd rather give it to you than anybody else. That's a Lavan statement. He didn't say yes. Nobody else will get her. Here's the thing about Lavan. You can never pin a lie on Lavan. He's the biggest liar that ever existed. But he doesn't actually, technically speaking, ever lie. Or you can't prove that he lies. He didn't say yes. He said the truth. No one else will marry her, which is true. No one else will marry her but it may take a little longer than seven years. Or to put it this way, you may get her after seven years, but I'm gonna extract more labor than uh, seven years. He manages through his rules to extract seven years for the first wife, not Rachel, and seven years for the second wife. But he didn't lie. I'd rather give it to you than anybody else. Mahdi, you stay with me. Shva'imadi is a way of saying that first by Yeshi'imolchon Ishyomi he stayed with him. He wasn't working, but over here, of course, he has managed to he will manage to extract not only seven years of labor from Yaakov but fourteen years. And it's funny, Ravan said to Yaakov, "Because you're my relative, you should work for nothing." And after fourteen years, Yaakov has two wives and two handmaidens, and he has. Zero money, actually. One might say, but he was, does have his, what like I'm saying, Yiddish Taak, the He's got a, a family which basically doesn't get along with each other, et cetera, et cetera. So I would say, you shouldn't work for nothing. Yaakov says, but I'm working for less than nothing. I'm working, for, I'm working not just for no money, but on top of that, I have major problems with this family with all the, the uh, because of the way you set it up. And we'll get to that. Yaakov is now stuck with a family that has two sides to the family that don't seem to get along very well, one side with the other. And this will be true in true all of the Yaakov stories. Some I mean, of Yaakov has to figure out how to overcome, which eventually he does do a pretty good job. That's eventually. But the story of Sefer Breshid is largely about this family and the internal strife and, uh, and the internal uh, misbehavior of one towards the other. So here's the point over here. Yaakov has fallen into the trap, fell into the trap. What are your wages? And now it turns out that his wives are the wages. His wives are the wages. So what Robert has managed to do, of course, is to create a, a scenario in which this idea of family on one hand, and work on the other, business on the other, are so incredibly interwoven with each other, nothing good will come of it. And let me make one final comment about how this plays out in the story. It plays out in more than one way, but I'll just say the obvious. The obvious is the following, and we'll get to this, we'll go back to this next next week, but in the story, as we all know, so Leah, he's married, he's married to Leah and to Rachel, we'll talk about that, he's married to both. We'll, we'll discuss it next week. So Leah has four children right away. Immediately, she has four children. Rachel has no children. And Rachel becomes jealous of Leah. That's the beginning of chapter 30. So Rachel wants to have children. So one way in which she, um, so it's complicated. Does, she does a couple of different things. And we'll discuss that next time. But one thing she does is the following. There's a story in chapter 30, beginning in verse 14 he's the oldest son of Leah, goes out to the field and he discovers Dudaim, which is typically translated as mandrakes. Mandrakes Mandrakes are a, let's call them a, a fertility pill. That's what they are. Mandrakes is a fertility pill. He brings them to his mother Leah. The, the, the two sisters are, are fighting for Jacob's affection who has more children. So Rachel goes to Leah and says to Leah, Give me some of the Dudaim of, uh, of, uh, of your son. Give me some of the mandrakes of your son. Leah says, you've taken my husband. She says, we'll get to this next time. You've taken my husband. You want the mandrakes also? He loves you more than he loves me. We'll get to why she calls it my husband. That's very interesting. He loves you more than he loves me. I'm the mother of his children. This doesn't seem right. You want everything? You want to be both his lover and the mother of his children? So Rachel says to So we have a deal. You can sleep with him tonight. I sleep with him tonight, but tonight you can take my place. And not just tonight. On a regular basis, you sleep with him more times, you have more kids, and I get the mandrakes. And they make that deal between them. The two sisters have to make, make, make a deal. I'm not making this up. It's in the homish. OK, I didn't make anything up. The Chumash says, Torah says the following, but were told. It came to pass at night where went out to Yaakov. Let's find that verse. That is, where's that verse? Where is that verse? Um, here it is. By Let's see, where this? Chapter 30, verse 16. Jake came back came back from the field towards evening. went out to greet him. You come to me, she said. I have rented you out tonight with the mandrakes of my son. It's a very interesting verse. Of course, it reminds us, obviously, of Esav coming back from the field and tired, and Yaakov taking advantage. And over here, you have Leah goes out to greet Jacob and says, tonight you come to me. I've rented you out for the night. Rent a husband. Rashi tries to put, of course, the best possible face on it. They want to build up the shift yard, all that business. Here's the, here's the point. It's a family in which Human beings are bought and sold. It's very simple. And there is no other way to read that. And it goes back to what Allah said. Tell me, what are your wages? My wages? This woman. The rights to, 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 to Rachel. Those are my wages. Oh, you remain after my own heart. You stay with me. I won't get, no one else will get her. Jacob, no one else is going to get her. Every word out of love and is slippery, you know? No one else will get it, right? But the point is, it's infected the family in the deepest way. That the two sisters conspire with each other, they're trading him off. And tonight you come to me because I rented you out for the night, you know? And by the way, it's clear, it's not just that night either because they have an ongoing ongoing relationship until they guess the match, until we run out, run out of mandrakes. This is my point about the story. it's a brutal brutal story actually. Despite Rashi's attempts to put a gloss on it, it is a brutal story. It's a complicated story. It's what people do out of desperation. It's what people do who feel that they want to be able to find their place. That's what it's about. At the center of the story, our hero is Yaakov, and Yaakov hopefully will emerge from all this, a very different person. He will be transformed i would say more. he will transform himself but this is the beginning of the story and this is what the torah presents us with is a very very complicated story about our hero we know where he's come from we know he aspires to lofty things his dreams are about angels ascending and descending to heaven so we're very interested in seeing how this will all play out and all this time he has this this, this commitment that he made, he took a vow. I'm gonna serve God in a different way. I'm gonna serve God, I'm gonna build a, a, a family which every member of my family can be included. It's never happened to this point, never. And that's Yaakov's dream to build an inclusive structure. The problem is he's trying to build an inclusive structure but the context of build the way he builds the family is one that lends itself not to unity but to a very profound disunity. So we'll have to see how this plays out in the coming weeks. Okay, I'll stop at this point. If anybody has comments, questions, or whatever, please. Let's hear it. was uh, One weeks. moment,
1: uh, Laszlo. Uh, I saw you had your hand up for a bit.
0: Yes.
2: Um, a, okay, a, unmute. It, uh, uh, yes, just to underline the point that you made earlier about the difference in character uh, between the uh, Rivka and uh, Rachel. Uh, when the Torah mentions first their meeting, uh, we are told uh, the meeting between Yitzchok and Rivka from the point of view of Rivka says, and she saw him and she fell. Uh, and uh, when this meeting, uh, the one we are reading now, it's, it's from a different point of view. It's only uh, from Yaakov's point of view that he saw her. She doesn't do anything. She's not active uh in approaching him
0: yes good point that's a very good point but the torah doesn't say there's nothing at this point negative about rachel i'm not saying negative i'm saying that there's nothing positive either he does yeah, what, one, what she did in the previous story that's all
2: um is it, is it uh, possible to say that uh, this is part of the process of winnowing out the charon from the family in other words uh, Leia uh, arifka too has an aspect of uh, Haran um, and, and the and the uh, deceiving uh, component and that in order to to build a true family uh, you can't have the relationships as transactional or business wherever you want to call it no. um, and that but this is a a theme you almost have to get the love on out of Yaakov because Lavan is part of Yaakov and he is in many ways like, uh, Yaakov is in many ways like Lavan in his uh, essence. And that almost is, this is this tragic process of how do you, now I may have learned that from you.
0: Well, Uh, when I say this, I I, I think I'm actually, the point is, I think, very central point. One question one can ask is, in other words, is there any place at all for some of these qualities to 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 reside in everybody? In other words, to be a complete innocent. In other words, love one is love is, is very crooked and it's all trans and all that. The, the question it comes up in that Thursday class that we started with the, with the Nachash. In other words, is there a place for the Nachash in, in this world? Is the question because to be a complete tummy? You know what I mean? Innocent, um, you know. Is that the way, one can, can one function in the world is one is completely innocent or is there some place for some kind of cleverness, not that it necessarily you know, overshadows the, the rest, but is there a place at all for the, for the Nakash in this world? That's a, that's a, I think you're the one that raised that question. That's a very basic question, but I do agree with you, exactly everything you said. I may have said it myself at some point that, yes, the, the love on Rivka is lovan's sister. Yaakov, we know Yaakov's behavior before we even think of Ravan. And not just Yaakov's behavior, Yaakov's behavior it runs through the whole book, basically, from the very beginning. When the when Adam says, the woman you put by my side, she, she, she made me do it. That's also not true. In other words, it's not just he's making an excuse. The excuses are not true in the sense that the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's true. What he says is true, but it's not true in the sense that that actually is a justification. So when it comes to truth and falsehood, the, the point that I'm making here, and it's also from the Thursday class about the snake, Lavan is a, Torah calls Lavan a, 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 a Menachish, from the word Nachash. And the point is that there are different ways to lie. My point about Lavan, which I think is an important point, is that you can say technically he doesn't lie. But he's the biggest liar who ever existed. I mean, it doesn't matter if he technically says the words, you can, I didn't lie to you. But it is a lie. It's not true. It's not dealing with someone in, a, in, a, in an honest way, in a, in, a, in a respectful way. That's what it means to be a liar. So the point is, it's not taking responsibility for what I say, et cetera, et cetera. It's twisting the truth. It's giving a, a, a bad interpretation of the truth. And I think for the hummish, that is problematic. And that's why the Chumash places such a tremendous emphasis on something like confession. Because confession means, I accept responsibility. And I think the idea of prayer, another one in my classes, prayer is prayer is actually about, it's about being in a space where you can actually tell 100% that you can't lie to God. We can lie to each other, but you stand before the all knowing God, there's no point to lie. So you can actually, Tell the truth without, you're not worried because God knows anyway. So you really, and then the question is, does prayer carry over to the rest of our lives or not? But um, that's the question. So yes, I think that why this story I think is one that is very tough. It's a very difficult story. It's tough. I mean, it's hard to read this. I mean, let's leave the apologetics out, but I think it's an incredibly important story because it's about how someone can actually change and what's necessary. And the, and the difficulty we have in making any real change. Uh, there's so many obstacles. So part of it is seeing the consequences of this kind of behavior. You know, it's not just some kind of theoretical uh, idea. Over here, Yaakov is gonna be, in this case, is the victim of all these machinations, of, these, of the double talk, etc., etc. But you're right, it infects Haran generally. It's not just a As I said, it affected his own family. You come to me tonight, I have rented you out. That's transactional. I mean, you have rented me out. And Jacob says nothing, by the way. It's very striking. Yaakov says not a word. Doesn't say anything. In fact, one of the things that marks the story, and I'll stop with this, is he doesn't say anything at all, actually. There are, there are 12 children born in this story. He doesn't name one of them. Not one. He's completely silent. Maybe that's also part of being in exile, feeling one, oneself unempowered. So that's what we'll get to this next week, which we'll just continues with the story. I have one last comment. Yes.
1: Bloomberg.
2: Thank you. Yes. Um, yeah, this, this raises the, 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 the important question of what's the business of Abraham, etc., going back to his family?
0: Right. So I, I would say two things about that. But Let me just answer you. Um, okay, I'll, say, I'll say one thing at this point. The important point about Abraham, first let me say two things, okay? Number one, when Abraham says, go back to Aram, don't marry, don't, Isaac can't marry a Canaanite woman, go back to my, he never says family, by the way. When he speaks to the servant, and you can check this out for yourself, says, go back to my land. He doesn't say go back to my the servants says family. Abraham never said family. That and makes the sense. main point is that for Abraham, the ma- Canaan is worse. But the main point for Avram is that the right person is the person who's willing to leave her family the way I left. It's more about leaving than about taking for the family. The, the actually doesn't mention the family at all. Go back to my homeland and there's a chance somebody in that homeland, like, like, like me, will be willing to leave, which is what happens in the story. It's Rebecca who says at the end, you, the reader knows it's going to end up that way. Even though he negotiates with the family the entire time. At the end of the day it was Riftah's choice. Will you go? So for Abraham, it's largely about leaving. Now, that's that. that I think is the core answer. There's there, there, there's there's another piece to it because I don't think you're wrong. Actually, I do think there's something about the family at that point that is significant. Maybe we'll we'll, we'll, we'll revisit that in the in the, in the future. But um, yeah, but you know, better than the Canaanites. True. The um, okay. We'll stop at this point then. We'll be continuing next week with the story of Yaakov in the House of Laban. Gets even more complicated, but uh, we'll see. Okay, so thank you very much. Uh, yeah, Keiwa, you want to make an announcement?
1: Uh, yes, we have a new class starting tonight at 8 p.m. with um, Rabbi Shlomo Zuckier on top called Contemporary Shemitah, Challenges, Compliance, Relevance, and Rebirth. If you are interested, you can sign up online at drisha.org.classes. And other, and we have a full full class schedule this week. You are welcome to join any. Um, if you had any questions that we were not able to get to in class, you are welcome to send them to, to Rabbi Silver by email at dsilver at rachael